Okay. Parashat Matot and Maseh. We'll talk about B'nai Gad and B'nai Ruvain. Those are the, the Shvatim that in the Torah decided <coughs> that they wanted to stay. They wanted to stay and settle the land that had been conquered by B'nai Yisrael in the wars against Sichon and Og. Now, this depart sounds like an extreme departure from the original plan, which was to go to Eretz Yisrael, Kibush, and Nachalah, to conquer the land and to inherit it. And yet, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't find fault with the idea itself. But he does say that, uh, you mean to say, that you are going to stay behind and not going to help the rest of the tribes conquer Eretz Canaan, right? Is that, is that what you mean? <coughs> and so they came to an agreement that uh, <coughs> God and Ruvain will go and uh, help conquer the land. And after they conquer the land, they'll come back to this Nachala that they designed for themselves on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Right, that's the outline of the story. How Chatzi Shevet Menashe gets involved in this story is kind of unclear from what the Chumash tells us. And it's what's also unclear is what possibly does Chatzi Shevet anything mean? I mean, how do you get a chatzi shevet? Uh, do you count the people, or do you do it by uh, in some other way? But they keep referring to Menashe, the Menashe that uh, the Menashe that uh, settled the land in Eva Yarden Mizracha as chatzi shevet Menashe, as though it was a kind of known group. It was something you could put your eyes on. So uh, these two, uh, these two problems, uh, the problems of what Chatzis Shevet Menashe might possibly mean, or how they got involved in this uh, in this story, because when it comes to Ruvain and God, the Torah says they had excessive numbers of flocks, that flocks of sheep and flocks of cattle and they needed a place to put them. Uh, so, of course, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand where, where these flocks could possibly have come from. I mean, where did they get flocks from? Even if you say, as Chazal say, that they came from Sichon and Oak, that the, the battles were won, and the spoils were the flocks. How come this only existed for how come this only existed for Ruvain, Ruvain and Gad, and not for the other tribes? Why did they? Uh... Anyway, uh, I mean, all of these, all these problems seem to exist. Rabbi Robinson, if it was a more austere audience, I would introduce you at great length, at greater length. It's true. Like if, if we were modern biblical scholars, we would say Svaras. Mm -hmm. But we get worn out. We say Svaras, we learn Gemara. 
and then we don't have any koyach left to say zoras and learning chumash. I mean, the point that I'm making is that it's unclear that in the Torah, the Torah doesn't clarify, doesn't clarify this point, which is uh, which is difficult. So I thought that in order to understand a little more, we should look at the summary that is in Yoshua Perikav Bet. Yeshua Perikov, everybody learned this Perik once in their lives, although they may not remember it exactly, where Yoshua sums up the Kibush and Nachalar, right? this Perikavet, I think there are 24, 25 Prakim in Yoshua. So Yoshua is sort of summarizing his own life's work, which was to carry out the Kibush and Nachalar that was designed by Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And in this, in this parak, let's just read a few of the psukim together. Az, start with that word az, you know, az is a, is a powerful word, as Chazal understood. Yikra Yoshua leruveini v'lagadil chatzimatem minashes. You see already, for Yehoshua, this is the group, and it includes chatzimatem minashes, even though, as we said before, we don't understand where they came from, what they have to do with this whole story, or why they were included, because originally it was only Ruvain and God. That's what the, the Pasuk in the Chumash says, that Ruvain and God came and complained that they needed a place for their flocks. But here in Yoshua Perikav Bet, Ruvain, God, and Chatzis Shevet Menasheh are the elements that we're talking about. They go together. And so, You know that Moshe Rabbeinu is called several times Eved Hashem. More interestingly, I mean, Eved Hashem is a very uh, powerful kind of um, title, but more interestingly, Yoshua Binun is also called Yoshua bin uh, Eved Hashem in the beginning of Yoshua and here as well. So he says, uh, <coughs> Moshe Eved Hashem, they fulfilled the requirements, or as they fought in Eretz Canaan, and now the fighting is over, the Nachala has taken place, so they can go back to where they wanted to live. But you did not leave your brethren many days. I mean, the kibush actually took seven years. I'm not sure if that's what he means. And you are devotees of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You agree to the, to the original agreement, right? Shu'ah, there was a Shu'ah that they accepted and they took. Right in the Halakha, it's called, it's even called Shu'ah B'nai Gad B'nai Ruvein, not Chatzi Shevet Menasheh, Pasuk Dalit. Bachta, Hineach Hashem Elokeichem Lachichem, Kashet Dibir Lehem, Hineach Lachichem. In other words, your, the other tribes have assumed Nachala. They've inherited the land. Right? So 
So this sounds like really a wonderful kind of thing here. There was an agreement. They fulfilled their side of the bargain. Yoshua Benun says, I see that you've fulfilled your side of the bargain. What we want to do is go on. And, and that means you're going to go back to the eastern side of the Jordan, where you left women and children and flocks and, and all of that. And, and so the deal is a deal. Pasuk hey, so you see, if you remember Sefer Dvarim, right? No, Sefer Dvarim is coming up, right? These are phrases that are taken from Sefer Dvarim. And <coughs> all of these phrases can be taken in one of two ways. One of two ways. One is like a kind of negative way. It's Musa. You know what Musa is? Musa is the art of being unhappy. Like you're unhappy with what you did. You're unhappy with what you accomplished. You're always thinking about how it could be better. That's called Musa. What's Hasidut? What's Hasidut? It's the art of being happy. You say, Hasidut, they say, Look, I have a, I, I, I'm living a miserable, good-for-nothing life, but tomorrow is going to be great. Or, alternatively, I'm living a miserable, a miserable life. Maybe a little schnapps will do it, will change my whole point of view. That's the difference, generally speaking, between the Litvaks and the Hasidic. But here, in Musar, you see it. Yeah, I mean, you see it very, very clearly. Musa, not that Musa is always wrong. I, I don't mean to say that. I mean, psychologists are not always wrong when they tell you you're a miserable, despicable, unhappy person. They're not always wrong, but they create an aura. And that's, so the question is like, what is, what is Yeshua Binun saying? He just said that they accomplished what they set out to accomplish. So why is he saying all of this? Why is he saying <laughs> to love God, to go in his ways, to keep the mitzvot Davka bo. Davka bo is like the, the words that describe the essential religious experience. The Rambam likes those words, right? Those words to cleave, they used to say in English. But it means to like be stuck. To get stuck to God. Like Devik. Like Devik. We have like a repeat of Shema Yisrael. Right? This is what this is what Yoshua is saying to Ruben Garachatzi Bhavid Minashe. Then Pasuk Vabaivarchem Yoshua Vishalchevi El Khuel Oalayem. Oalayem, I guess, means in the, the local Ohalim, the, the, where they were, where they were now. By Pasuk Zayim. Ulchatsei Shevet Hamenashe, Natan Moshe Babashan, Ulchatsion Natan Yoshua Machayem, Eber, Ubemiknei Rav, Me. Okay, 
So they divided up. Menashe was divided up half here and half there. Right, you know that the Golan, remember the Golan? It's uh, like in the news these days. Pasuk Zayin. No, Pasuk Chet. So then there's a matter of shalal, right? They captured a lot of stuff and all these wars and areas. It's also Yoshua says this is also going to be done equitably, all going to be done equitably. Again, this entity, Ruven and God and Chatsi Shevet Menashe, may eat Bnei Yisrael, Mishilo Hashem Eretz Kenan, Lachad Eretz Agilad, El Eretz Achuzat Cham, Hashem No Chazuba, Al Pi Hashem Yad Moshe. Achshav, Shilo. What is Shilo? What is Shilo? Besides, yes. But Shiloh is the center of worship before Yerushalayim. I mean, Yerushalayim was not yet available. Yerushalayim was not a place that they could build the Beit HaMikdash in. Right? It took 400 years, over 400 years, for Bnei Yisrael <coughs> to build the Beit HaMikdash. 400 years in those days is also a long time. Even though today, Today it doesn't always seem like, you know, years pass, it doesn't seem like a long time. But he says, he says, Shiloh, Pasuk Yud, they're on their way back. They're on their way back to the eastern side of the Jordan River. Remember? Eastern side, Sichon and Og and Moab. Eastern side of the Jordan River. Here's the Jordan River. You see it? Yes? And so there's the... I guess from you looking at it, this would be the eastern side, and this is the western side. All right, so the, the people were going back, so they were crossing the Jordan River in some place called Galilot HaYardeh. A Galil is a larger area, it's not a city, but it's a, a, an area, so Galilot HaYardeh is the place that they were <coughs> when they crossed. And when they crossed, Asher Be'eretz Kenan. Now, here you have it. Here you have the story. Again, their names, each tribe is named again and again. Et HaMizbeach El Mul Eretz Kenan El Glilot HaYardin El Eber B'nei Yisrael. So they built a Mizbeach. They built a Mizbeach. Now, why do you build a Mizbeach? Why do you build a Mizbeach? Well, either you build a Mizbeach to sacrifice upon it, or you build a Mizbeach as Avram Avinu did in the parish of Lech Lecha. You build a Mizbeach in order to mark the spot. This is where I spoke to God. This is where the miracle took place. That's a Mizbeach. That's a Mizbeach. However, by now, it was also true because they had a Mishkan in the desert and they knew that there was a Mishkan in Shiloh, that the Mizbech was the center of Avodas Hashem at that time. 
So the question that you have to ask yourself is why did they build a Mizbeach? Did they build a Mizbeach to mark the spot? Or because they were leaving and they wanted to make sure they know the way back someday? Or did they build a Mizbeach because they realized that on the eastern side of the Jordan River something was missing. Something was not acceptable. Pasuk, Pasuk Yudbet, Vayishmeu, Vayishmeu b'nei Yisrael ve'ikalu kol adat b'nei Yisrael Shiloh v'anot alehem l'tzava. They all went to Shiloh. Vayishlechu b'nei Yisrael el, and so b'nei Yisrael sent to b'nei Ruvain b'nei Gad b'chazi shevin b'nashe el Eretz Agilad. That's the Golan. At Pinchas ben Elazar Hakohen, last week's parsha, va'asarad nesiim imo nesiyechad nesiyechad lebeitam lechol matot Yisrael, ve'ish rosh beitam otam heimel alfeis. So all these important people came. Va'yavo el b'nei Ruvein v'avnei Gad v'chazi shevet menashe leretz agilad va'yidabru itam lemor. And what did they say? Pasuk tetzay. So there is the answer to the question. The answer to the question, the question was, what's going on? Why the B'nai God, the B'nai Ruvain? <coughs> Why are they willing? <coughs> Why are they interested? Why are they interested in setting up a separate world for themselves? And why is it? Why is it that they were willing to accept the deal that Moshe Rabbeinu offered them? And finally, why did they build a Mizbeach? So it would seem, it would seem starting from the Mizbeach that <coughs> they thought they could not exist in the Eva Hayardain Mizracha, in the eastern side of the Jordan River, without some center for their religious activity and devotion. And that center of religious, of religious devotion was supposed to be in Shiloh, eventually coming to Yerushalayim was probably just too far away. It was just too far away. So they built a Mizbeach. And the way the Mizbeach was understood by B'nai Israel, the tribes of Israel, Pinchas and the elders, the Mizbeach was described as being a way of, of uh, taking a stand against the wishes of Moshe Rabbeinu, of the Torah, of of the And so, if you go back and read the Psukim, and we said, well, why was Yoshua telling them Musa? Why was Yoshua concerned about their, about their devotion? Why did Yoshua bring up Moshe Rabbeinu again and again? Why and why and why? It would seem, it would seem that at the outset, at the outset it was understood that B'nai God and Ruvain and Gad wanted some sort of independence from this notion of Klal Yisrael. 
And therefore, therefore this, this idea that, that you could be independent, that you wouldn't have to be devoted to the same center, which became a reality after Shlomo HaMelech died, right? You remember Shlomo HaMelech died, his son Rechavam became the king in Yehuda, and Yeravam ben Avad became the king in Yisrael, and they become, became adversarial. They were against, they stood against each other. And as we said before, Yeravam ben Nevat tried to develop centers of religion in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, north of Yerushalayim. And so eventually, eventually it didn't work out and the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom was exiled in the time of Sancheriv, 722 BCE. It's a good date to remember. 722 BCE, they were exiled, and uh, and then we became Yehuda. That's who we became. We became Jews because Israel disappeared. It, it didn't exist, and and Yehuda, Yehuda lived on in the Gola, in the diaspora. In spite of the, and and it's interesting to note that the Aseret Ashvatim, who were exiled by Sanhedrin, they didn't live. They disappeared. They uh, they were absorbed into the into the greater world. But the tribe of Yehuda, which also included a little bit of Shimon and maybe Binyamin, you know, there were little tribes connected to Yehuda. <coughs> so Yehuda was never absorbed fully and maintained its identity throughout uh, at least the last two thousand years of exile. Uh, we we we. The Jewish people continued to exist. I mean, the difference between Judah and Israel was that Judah had Yerushalayim, and Israel didn't have Yerushalayim. So that it may be, I mean, if you think about Tishabab, it may be that one of the things that kept Am Yisrael alive was the memory of Yerushalayim. I mean, they didn't remember necessarily where the Nachalab Yehuda was, or Binyamin, or Shimon, but they remembered Yerushalayim. The ten tribes that were exiled by Sancheri from Eretz Yisrael had disappeared from the world. They didn't have that memory because they were unsuccessful in setting up a Yerushalayim instead of Yerushalayim. They were not able to create that memory of a place, of a makom to which we would go back and be part of that where they were unable, they were simply unable to do. So in order to uh, understand further, I want to look at the Svatamet. <coughs> we turn the page. The Svatamet says. Svatamet refers, refers to, goes back to this theme several times. So he says, You see it? I would say that the issue that the Svatamed is dealing with is, is this question. How is it possible that Ritbenei Gad and Bnei Ruvein would ask such an outrageous request? I mean, how can you give up Eretz Kenan as it was presented to Bnei Yisrael by Moshe Rabbeinu and stay behind in, uh, in the eastern side of the Yardin. I mean, how is, that, how is that even 
unthinkable. How is that even thinkable? And uh, how is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say no? Moshe Rabbeinu said, as, as I'm repeating what we already said, right? Moshe Rabbeinu said you have to go and fight. You have to be in the forefront of the attempt to lechbosh at Eretz Yisrael. You can't give up. But that might mean that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want B'nai Ruvain and B'nai Gad to weaken the resolve of the rest of Am Yisrael. But why did he agree in general that the people of Israel, that the people of Israel could live in the Eber Yadeh Mizrahah at this time? So along comes the Svatamet and he says this, I've already written about this problem, the problem that I just said. Muchan, that this Nachala, that they took upon themselves, but they got it, but they ruvain, it was prepared for them. It was when they came to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's as though we say, they said, look, we had a, we had a vision. And the vision from HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that we should stay here. And therefore we want to do it. They didn't come and say, we want something, or we have flocks, or we want to earn a living. Well, they didn't say that, according to the Svat HaMet. According to the Svat HaMet, they came and they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's our prophecy. We realize that we're supposed to live here. Of course we want to go to Eretz Canaan. But, but, but God has indicated to us, that's what Mukhan means. Mukhan means there is some other way of evaluating what's going on, and that's muhanut. Aval haratzon, shegam oto hachelik hamuhan la dam, yachpots lekablo al yedei hatorah. And this is what the Medrash calls a matana. The word matana <coughs> in the Medrash here, right? This Medrash that the, that the Svatamet calls, uh, quotes, a matana is something that you get for free but you could turn it into a designated uh, 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 acquisition. In, in other words, you got it for no reason, no particular reason. You didn't deserve it necessarily, but you could turn it into something that really belongs to you. So that's what he says. That even that which is prepared that you have to make acceptance a Torah act. It has to be something that the Torah wants. You have to be aware that the Torah wants you to do it. And this is the primary event of human enterprise. After all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Right, here's the here's the Svatamet, the philosopher. He says everything in the world is teva. Everything in the world is teva. In other words, that there are laws. There's nature. You can look into it. You can find out how things work. But at the same time, muhan lekol echad. Lefi mazalo. Lefi mazalo, he means according to God's inclination. You can make it yours. You could, you could take the teva and make it part of you. Aval b'nei Yisrael, 
בני ישראל צריכים להעלות הכל אליו יתברך למעלה מן המזל But B'nai Yisrael have some sort of obligation of changing the world of Teva to a world of awareness of God's will. Right? V'tzarich sh'yeratzon, again, B'raa olam v'teva mochad l'kol b'gmazolav. B'nai Yisrael, the third line, Tzrichim la'alot ha'kol elav yitbarach l'mala min ha'teva mazal. Right? Mazal is God's in position on Teva. And you have to even get higher than that. You have to get to God's will. Right? You have to have the will to accept the matana. Right? Something that you get for no particular reason. So it seems to me this father doesn't even mention it. He's talking about this parak in in uh, in uh, Yoshua. He's talking about parak in Yoshua. Like, what did Yoshua say? Okay, you fulfilled the the agreement. You did what you could do. You could go back there and yourself, but you have to remember that you have a higher calling. You have to turn that property that you are assuming into into Eretz Yisrael, right? And the way to turn into that property into Eretz Yisrael. Is lishmor v'lavo d'lava, but all the things that Moshe Rabbeinu taught us again and again, that by seeing the hand of God in what is going on, by seeing that, right, you're able to turn it into something real, into a nachala. It's not just part of an agreement that we had that if you come and you fight, so you're going to get the land as though you were mercenaries. You're not mercenaries. You have an obligation, just as B'nai Yisrael have an obligation of turning Eretz Kinan into Nachalat Am Yisrael, which is not something that happens in an obvious manner. You, Ruvein and Gad and Menashe, you have an obligation to turn the land that you have squatted on into Eretz Kinan. And that's what the, the Svatim had to say, I think. As if you do that, then it, it's really true. The, the distinction has taken place. It's something that has really happened. He says, that's why we know that we have to daven every day uh, for Mizonot. We have to daven every day for our basic sustenance. Af, even a person, even a person who does not lack an income. Right? It was, what is Avodah It's not that you ask for things. It's that you feel very comfortable with reality. That's Avodah Avodah is not to say to God, I know it can't happen. For example, in the, in the summer in Eretz Yisrael, you can't ask for rain. That's not the idea of tefillah. 
The idea of tefillah is that you're comfortable with the reality, that you understand your connection to things that God has produced. It's all there. It's all, it's all available. It's just, it's, it's when you dab it, you say, I know that God made this available. I know that this is the way <coughs> the, word work, the world works. Right, he, he, says, he says, you talk about things that you're missing, so you're just talking about the physicality of things. You're talking about food. You're talking about something you're missing. That's no big deal. That doesn't do with tefillah. That's because tefillah is, is like, you know, an existential kind of appeal. I want to be with God. And the way I say that, the Rambam would agree probably, is that I understand something. I understand about how the world was created. I understand what God wants from me. I understand what, what it is that has to happen. And that's why Yeshua Benun said to Reuben in Gan make sure <coughs> to maintain that understanding. The deal is a deal. Okay, we had a deal, but that's Legarmo, that's the physicality of the world. That you're getting something. You did something, you're getting something, but that's not what makes it into Eretz Israel. That's not what changes the land into the land that God gave us. That's not what it is. I hope I'm not reading too much into this, Swatamet, but this is what seems to me to be correct. In other words, it's true, he says, that in Shvona Esoy we understand, we ask for things. But that's not the point. The point that we daven, the point at which we ask for things, is that we understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who gives it. It's that understanding which is what tefillah is all about and makes tefillah democratic. Everybody can participate. That's why everybody can be part of a minyan. Uh, theoretically, even women, but that's not, I don't want to be politically, politically correct or incorrect. <coughs> In other words, every person has an equal right to be part of a minyan. There's no way of differentiating. Everybody knows. You could have the greatest scholar in the world, right, in your shul. He's one out of ten. He can't even get to two. You can't, you know, you just have to count them. You have to count them because tefillah, tefillah <coughs> is about awareness. It's about awareness of God's relationship to the world. And that awareness, that awareness divides equally over everybody. Because awareness is not about depth of awareness. Awareness is just about, you know, lightning, the thunder, the, all of that is awareness. The four lines at the bottom, at the end of the line, the last two words, says, when they matnat shamayim, when you get something, Right, you just got it. Like the removing God and Chatzit Shevim Nasheh, they got it. 
They got what they wanted. It was matnat shamayim. What does matnat shamayim mean? It's not yet determined what its status is. It's a matana. I mean, you have it. But having something means that it could just be for your physical need, for the way you are. Right? This is matnat shamayim. Uba'im b'koachat Torah. And they come to you. That's that awareness that it's the Torah purpose that brought you this result. That the purpose of Torah, which is clear, right, mandated that Rube and God and would get what they got. <coughs> would get what they got. Better the end than the beginning, right? Yoshua Perikabed, because the end <coughs> of, of the process always indicates what was really going on, what was really happening. When he's still connected to the beginning, to the root. That's what the Medrash says, the Torah is also called Reshit. It all comes from the Torah, and therefore you have to bring it back to the Torah. As he says, You see? No, Menashe. Even though this land Sichan and Og was really theirs. It was really theirs to turn into Eretz Israel, right? Buchan lehem, O il velohu tav be'enei Moshe Rabbeinu alava shalom, shu shorish ha-Torah, even though Moshe Rabbeinu shu shorish ha-Torah, so the whole Torah comes from Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't like the idea at the beginning. Buchach sheloha yaratzon shalem davuk, that means that why was Moshe Rabbeinu unhappy? Why was Moshe Rabbeinu unhappy? Because he perceived that Reuven and God were not properly ready to undertake this, undertake this uh, enterprise. And therefore we see again in Perikah Bet that they built the Mizbeach. And what was the Mizbeach? The Mizbeach was competitive. It was not Shiloh and would not be Yerushalayim. And since it was not Shiloh, it would not be Yerushalayim. Therefore, therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they're not ready for this. They can't undertake this. They can't undertake this so that he created this Tanai, B'nai God and B'nai Ruvay, <coughs> which was a technical, <coughs> a technical thing which enabled, enabled them to go and to conquer the land in spite of the fact that they were not really ready to inherit the land of Sichon and Oven, Elga turned it into Eretz Yisrael. So look at that line again. Kabochain, the last next to the last line. Even though at some level the land of Sichon and Ov was was ready to be absorbed by Reuven and God and to become part of Eretz Yisrael, even though that's true. This was not. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't like it. Right? It was Moshe Rabbeinu didn't like the idea. 
Because if he liked the idea, he would have said, go ahead, great, great idea. Their will, the will of Reuven and God, was not, did not cleave, did not cleave, did not really connect uh, uh, totally to the Koach HaTorah, uh, to the stretch to the, to the voice of the Torah. Right, they didn't they didn't have that Velechain Lonit Kayem Biyadam. You see that? It didn't happen. And therefore it didn't happen. Whoever knows Halakha, whoever knows Halakha knows that the mitzvot are only partially uh, uh, imposed on the land of Ruven and Ganfit. <coughs> and Kedushat Eretz Israel, Kedushat Eretz Israel can be defined. As as mitzvot atliot ba'aretz, you know, as after the kibush and nachalot, after the kibush and nachalot, then the the uh, uh, <coughs> uh, what, what what do you call it? the mitzvot atliot ba'aretz were imposed upon Eretz Israel. They didn't come automatically. It wasn't something that happened uh, uh, because Eretz Israel was there. But this was not the case with Eva Yadeh Mizracha. Some things, yes, but most things not. Most mitzvot of Lobars were not imposed on Eva Yadeh Mizracha. That's because the Svatim that says, Shalom Yaratzon Shalem Davuk Bishleimut Bikocha Torah, Velachain Lonit Kayem Biyadam. Ma Lonit Kayem Biyadam? To make it into Eretz Israel. In other words, even though if we say, Somebody who asked me, like, what makes Eretz Israel into Eretz Israel? I say, Kibush and Nachala. But that, according to the meant, that's not true. But it's Kibush, Nachala, and attitude. You have to think the right way. And that's why Yeshua ben Nun said to Ruben Karchazi Shevet Nunasheh, Lishvorta Mitzvot, Lechayemet Mitzvot, Lavodet Hashem, that this is really what does it. <coughs> but they, did not understand, and they went and they built the Mizbeach, which was competition somehow for Shiloh, and remained, and therefore they were unable to achieve <coughs> what, should have been, what should have been achieved. What I wanted to teach also, which I'm not going to do, because I think I'm annoyed enough with my coughing, is the Hamek Davar. If you have a chance, you should look at it. The Hamek Davar to Dvarim Perikimel, where it says right? You see the pasuk. This is Moshe Rabbeinu telling the story, the beginning of Dvarim, beginning of Dvarim next week, not this week. Next week is Dvarim. Dvarim always comes before Tisha B'Av. But you see this pasuk where Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story. He only talks about Ruvayni Belagadi. There's no mention of the Chatzis Shevet Menashe in this posse, which they certainly, certainly should be mentioned. <coughs> the the, uh, the uh, Hamikdava, which we're not going to do right now, but I'll just tell you one thing that he says. He proves that Menashe, that the Chatzis Shevet Menashe contributed Talmidei Chachamim to Ruvain and God. 
that it changed the nature of the enterprise, that even though there was no other reason to include Chatsi Shevet Menasheh, because Ruven and God, they had the, the flocks of the sheep, and they were big, and they had people, there was no need. But Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to, wanted to increase the level of Talmidei Chachamim in this enterprise, so that things would be, things would be changed. So if you connect the Amek Dover and the Svat Emet, which by the way, in terms of chronology, is really almost possible. Uh, I mean, the, the Tzib died before the Svat Emet, but they're modern, they're contemporary. So the, so the Svat Emet said they were not successful. That the Ruven and Gachat Sishem Menashe were not successful in turning that land into <coughs> into uh, uh, Eretz Yisrael, and that Moshe Rabbeinu understood that and he knew that and he was and therefore he he was a little nervous about this whole process and he created the Tanai B'nai God of B'nai Ruven, right? That's that's that. But and the Nitziv asks adds, and not only that. But Chatzis Shevet Menashe were added to this enterprise in order that the level of Talmidei Chachamim present at the time should be increased. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when, he, when, when the thing fa- failed after all, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, he knew that it was going to fail. So he said, B'nei Gada B'nei Ruvain, he didn't count uh, Menashe. Okay. <coughs> all the best. We'll have a shia next week before Tisha B'Av, and then I'm going to take off a few weeks. Benaz uh, Mani. How are you, Rabbi Robinson? Baruch Hashem.